going to use a few of the same verses I used for our devotional at the Men's Chili Supper, uh, but an entirely uh, different sermon. The Bible's good that way, amen? Uh, you can get an unlimited number of, ver- of, of sermons from any one verse, uh, and that just shows the depth of God's living word. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at reading verses 19 through 25. Verses 19 through 25, we're going to read the odd-numbered verses together. I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. And as we read together, we'll pause briefly at the punctuation marks. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, the Word of God says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls." Let's pray. Lord, we look at these verses with anticipation. Already the conviction begins to set in as we need our heart to be in tune with your heart. We need our mind to think your thoughts. We need our lives to look like your life. And we pray as we finish out this stewardship month and we discuss this topic this morning, that you'd help us more effectively going forward to give you our pain in faith, with patience, and to be good stewards of suffering. Save those that need saved. Encourage those that need encouraged. Strengthened, strengthen the weak. Help all of us to live more like they, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. What a powerful section of scripture. The theme of this portion of scripture is suffering. Patience and suffering. You know, suffering is something that we don't like to talk about, but suffering comes to us all, doesn't it? The question is, will we waste our suffering or will we be good stewards of our suffering Reaping the benefits. Here's the thought for the day. You can waste your suffering or you can be a good steward of your suffering, allowing God to use it for eternal good and His glory. You're going to suffer. We can't control if we suffer, but we can control how we suffer. We can control our response to suffering. And so today in our final Sunday of stewardship, we're going to talk about this concept, the stewardship of suffering. The stewardship of suffering. Suffering is the bearing of pain, inconvenience, or damage. The truth is everybody in this room is suffering in some form or another. You could be suffering physically financially, emotionally, relationally, the list goes on and on. But everybody in this room has some form of suffering they're going through in their lives today. Suffering can be minor 
or it can be major. For some of you, the suffering is an inconvenience. For others, the suffering is life-changing. Suffering can be temporary or it can be prolonged. For some, you see a light at the end of the tunnel. You see an end date to your suffering. For others, you may not see a light at the end of the tunnel. You may not know when or if this suffering will ever end this side of heaven. It's like the difference between breaking your arm and having your arm amputated. If you break your arm, it's inconvenient and it hurts. But the doctor says, two, three months, you'll be back using it. Six months, if you do the right stuff, you'll probably be pretty good to go. If you lose your arm, it's gone. That's a life changer. Might be the difference between your loved one being sick, but knowing what's wrong and how to fix it, and your loved one being gone already in heaven. And you know you won't see him this side of heaven. His suffering can be major, it can be minor. It can be temporary, it can be prolonged. Suffering causes sorrow. It causes doubt. It zaps us of our strength and ambition. It hurts far beyond the physical. Causes emotional and mental anguish as well. Every family suffers. And it's unwise to compare suffering. What may seem small to you might be a massive trial of faith to another. It's always important not to compare suffering. That's nothing compared to what I've been through. That's a foolish statement. Because at that place in your life, you going through that, it was a big deal to you. It's the difference between a toddler scraping their knee or having a toy break and the parent trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage. One doesn't compare to the other. Clearly one has greater stakes, but to that toddler in that moment, that's a big deal. One of the signs of maturity is not comparing suffering. Comparing yourself among yourself is not wise. My wife's really good at that. People will often say, oh my, I'm sick, but nothing compared to you. My wife will often say, you can't compare that. Your sickness matters. Well, I'm in pain, but it's nothing compared to your pain. She'll say, I don't, I don't like it when you say that. She'll say, your pain matters. Your pain hurts to you. It is true that our family has suffered in a unique way since 2008. This fall will be 15 years since our world began to change. My daughter, Caitlin, was born in January, January 2nd, 2008. Around April or November of that year, we were back in the hospital. Sarah had some complications during Caitlin's pregnancy. Matter of fact, during Katie's pregnancy, my wife had uh, bilateral DVTs, so deep vein blood clots in both legs at the same time while she was pregnant. Highly unusual. Uh, She was in the hospital for over a week. They would actually have doctors come in to look at her from Providence and other places just so they could say they'd seen a case like that. It was highly unusual. And the blood clots, usually they start at the bottom and work their way up. Uh, My wife's blood clots went from uh, almost her hip area all the way down to her ankles. And just a highly unusual situation, complications being expecting. We got through that. Uh, Katie was born. Life was good. About October, November of that year, my wife started complaining with pain in her legs. Just unusual, deep pain that wouldn't go away. She thought it was blood clots again. Matter of fact, we both thought it was blood clots again. Because once you have them, it's probable that you're going to have them again sometime. And so we went back expecting just to say you got blood clots, you got to go back on the heparin and, and all of these things and, and warfarin. And, uh, 
But no, it wasn't blood clots. That really threw us for a loop because it's like, what is this? And then it started to get oppressive. It started to get life-changing. And then over the course of months, my wife got to the place where she had a hard time walking. And you know what it's like. You have to wait months to get into a specialist. So we'd see one specialist and then They'd say, no, you need to go see this specialist. You'd have to wait some months and then go see that specialist. And no, you need to go see this one and wait some months. And we were finally getting into a, a specialist that we had waited. It had been about six months to get into to see her through a series of other things. At that time, my wife could barely walk. She walked into the place hanging on my arm and uh, barely able to get in. And we sat down. And finally, this lady is going to give us some answers. And, and she said, well, I don't know what to tell you. She said, I can give you an experimental medicine that will take six months to see if it works. And I can give you this prescription for pain medicine. And I looked at the lady honestly and said, I'm not sure if my wife's going to be here in six months. She had started going down so quickly. She was losing the function in her legs. Other problems were, were starting. And uh, she's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And we left that meeting stunned. It's like, what do we do now? We hobbled back to the car. We came home. I spent a couple of days praying. The Lord brought to mind a natural doctor in the Midwest that had actually helped us years before. We'd had three miscarriages and, and um, wondered if we'd ever be able to have children. We found the Lord led us to a natural doctor that, that helped us carry Paul and then, then um, three other babies and or two other babies. So uh, we've got three babies in heaven and three, three babies here on earth. But um, the Lord led us back there and we went in there and literally we're sitting there. My wife had to be wheeled on the plane. By this time, she was in a wheelchair. She had to be wheeled into the, the doctor's office. He's a chiropractor slash a bunch of other things and Christian man. And so we go in there and, and we get my wife on the examining table and we had a list of 21 major symptoms. And he said, that's why the doctor's medicine is so specialized. One doctor looks at this and says, well, this isn't my field. And they just send you around the medical miracle ground. He opened the door and began to walk in and he, he kind of took a step back and goes, whoa. He said, something heavy is going on in here. Uh, we both just start crying. We get Sarah on the, op, uh, on the examining table. He starts doing his examination. He said, wow, he said, this is bad. And my wife laying on the table, tears running down her face, pulling in her ears. She says, I know I'm dying and nobody can help. He said, Paul, come over here and put your hands on her head and get on your knees and you pray for her out loud while I'm trying to diagnose her and we'll ask for God's help. <clears throat> Thankfully, he was able to help her enough to keep her alive, but not enough to get her all the way better. That's in the hands of the Lord. He said, I've seen 60,000 patients, over 60,000 patients. And he said, I've never seen a case like this. And that started a journey of now this fall will be 15 years. I just say all that to say everybody suffers. Our family has our suffering. Your family has your suffering. Some of you have been through traumatic, life-changing events, and you're still here, praise God. Others of you, you haven't been there yet, but one of these days the rug is going to get pulled out from under you. And your world's going to shift. And you're going to wonder if you can make it. What do you do? What do you do when suffering comes to you in a form that you've never seen it or expected it? Takes your breath away. Changes your budget, your schedule, your life, the way your family functions. What do you do? The Bible says, he that's faithful in that which is least will be faithful in that which is much. And I, I submit to you this morning that if you learn how to handle the small sufferings, you'll be able to handle the big sufferings along the way. 
you've probably been where I am where you're so worn out sometimes you're so emotionally mentally physically worn out where sometimes it doesn't take much to be the straw that breaks the camel's back you ever been there or that's that's the thing it, it should be nothing but that's the thing where it's like okay I don't want to live anymore it should be nothing but that's the thing where you're just like and blow up it should be nothing, but it is. Because you feel like you have no strength. We have failed many times over the years, but praise God, we're, we're still kicking. And I know you folks pray for us. We would not make it without the grace of God and the prayers of, of people like you. We live on a razor's edge of grace, but I'm not complaining. What I'm trying to say this morning is, we failed many times, but we seek to give our affliction to God. Trusting Him not just to help us survive, but even to thrive. There are days when if, if you just make it through that day and you're still standing, good job. A friend asked me some time ago, what's going on this week? I said, survival. He kind of chuckled and he goes, oh, you're serious, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. I kind of chuckled too. He says, yeah. There are days when you've just got to make it. But you know, if you make it and you give your suffering to God, God can then help you thrive and use your suffering in ways that you never thought he could use it and give you opportunities that you never thought he could give you. We need to... Be good stewards of our suffering. And I pray that you'd help us for that. I, I don't lift up our family up as any model. You know, our family's been turned upside down. My children don't know what it's like to have a normal mom. They don't know what it's like to get up and go to the store with mom. Go clothes shopping to jump in the car and take a ride with mom. And I don't say that by way of pity. It's just a fact. And our family has to work through those things. It kind of hurt my, my wife some months ago. We were talking, and Katie, of course, has no memories of Sarah being well, but she expected the older kids to have a few more, and it wasn't their fault, but they just didn't have very many memories at all of mom doing normal things. And my wife wept. My wife and I have not had the ability to experience life together as we hoped. I took a recent trip that she'd gone with me if she could have. Going on 19 Valentine banquets we've been to here at this church. I'll be going to my 14th or 15th one, minus a few in there without her. There was a few in there she was able to come to. I'm not complaining this morning. I'm just stating some facts saying, what do you do when you suffer? What do we do when we suffer? How are you suffering right now? I want you to search your heart. How are you suffering right now? And don't compare it. Don't say, well, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what you're going through. That's foolish talk. What is causing you stress right now? What is causing you to have sorrow? What's causing you to doubt? What burden seems so heavy that you wonder if you can carry it? What, what thing in your life is causing you to fear and be anxious for the future? Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a diagnosis hanging over you. Maybe you're wondering if your, your marriage is going to make it. You, you wonder uh, if you're going to be able to make it financially. You, you, you wonder how the job situation is going to do. Perhaps you're just hoping to put food on the table this week or pay the mortgage at the end of the month or, or you're not sure how to, how to raise the kids right or, or, or there's stress and, and frustration and, and hurt and pain. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, maybe it's, it's physical, whatever it is. What is causing you suffering right now? And my encouragement to you is today that you are not a victim to that suffering in the sense to where you, you have no, no, no ability to decide some things. 
You can't decide how you suffer. You can't decide what comes into your life, but you can decide how you respond to it. And I want each of us this morning to begin seeing suffering as an opportunity for stewardship. God, if you let this come into my life, then you must have some plan. And I may not like it, but I want to handle this suffering in a way that would honor you and please you. Talking to a preacher some years ago, and Sarah had been suffering for probably 10, 12 years, and he, he, he came here and, and was with us for a weekend and, and just being around. He said, listen, he said, I've prayed for you and your wife for years, but he said, I had no idea how sick she was. He said, I had no idea. I said, we don't really know how to talk about it. I said, how do you say every day, how's your wife today? You really want to know? <laughs> you know, or, or you know, she's, she's in a lot of pain. She's really struggling. He said, I had no idea. And he'd been through some suffering himself in a unique way. And he wrote me a letter later. He said, God must trust you a lot to, to give you this trial. And I asked him about it. I said, what do you mean God must trust you a lot? He said, God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly what you can handle. He never gives you more than you can handle with his help. He said, God trusted you to have this trial. And he can see you through it. And I would say the same thing for you. Whatever you're going through today, God's trusting you with the trial in front of you. And you can do this well. You are not just a victim that has no control over your responses, over your words, over your attitudes, over your actions. You are not a victim that you're not a rock on the, on the beach that just gets pummeled with wave after wave of suffering and pain and hurt and you can do nothing about it. No, God says, I will give you the strength I will give you the power. If you give me your suffering, I will turn it into something good. You believe that? How have you suffered? What suffering are you going through? Our text makes the difference between self-inflicted suffering and suffering that you endure that's not your fault. Look at, look at our verses here in verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience endure, excuse me, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So there's a wrongful suffering. And then in verse 20, he says, For what glory is it if when ye being be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? Then there's self-inflicted suffering. Look, if you go rob a bank and go to jail, that's self-inflicted. If you do something foolish and start to suffer for it, that's self-inflicted. And the thing that you ought to do in that case is take the ownership of it, learn your lesson, and decide you're not going to do that thing anymore. But you should still suffer patiently. See, a lot of times today, they'll, they'll self-inflict suffering and then blame everybody else. And if you never take the blame, then you never learn the lesson. But as soon as you take the blame and said, wow, I'm in this mess because I did that, and I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to learn my lesson and be better for it. That's what you should do. But the Bible says there's no praise in that. Hey, good job for learning your lesson. No, that's, that's the common thing to do. But wait a minute. What if you're doing a good thing and you suffer? What if you're preaching Jesus and go to jail? What if you tell a friend about Christ and they ridicule you? What if you tell the boss, no, I can't work Sundays because that's the Lord's day and they give you static and threaten to fire you? There are people all over the world that are suffering for doing the right thing. And you know what God says? Even when you're suffering wrongfully, suffer well. That's hard to do, isn't it? And sometimes God will let things in your life and you're like, hey, I don't deserve this. And God says, suffer well. I didn't ask for this. Suffer well. Am 
my wife's not a drug addict. She hasn't, she hasn't done hard drugs for, for 10, 15, 20 years. She's not been an alcoholic for 30 years. She grew up in church. She loves Jesus. All she ever wanted to do was be a, 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 a pastor's wife, a wife, a pastor's wife, and a, and a mother. And, and, and that, that's all she ever wanted. All she, she's, she's a fine young lady. Why would this happen to us? And God says, suffer well. It's easy when things happen to you that don't, you feel like you don't deserve it. You say, God, why would you let this happen to me? And you've got to learn to get over that real quick. Because there's going to be things in your life come to you that you didn't deserve. But it's your responsibility. There's burdens you didn't ask for. But it's your responsibility to carry. What you'll find is your burdens become opportunities if you give them to God. See, our text reminds us that suffering patiently when we feel like we don't deserve it, that's worthy of praise. You say, how's that fair? Well, what? no, wait a minute. Wasn't that the testimony of our sinless Savior when He died for sinners? Our very hope of heaven is based upon unjust suffering. Jesus did nothing wrong. Why did he have to die? He died for us. And if our entire faith is based on someone suffering when they didn't deserve it for the greater good, then why in the world do we think God wouldn't let us suffer for the greater good? See, some people teach you, well, if you get saved, all your problems go away. You don't find that in the scripture. In some countries, you get saved, they'll cut your head off. In some countries, you get saved, you talk about it, you own a Bible, they'll throw you in jail. But it's still worth getting saved. See, what God promises you, when you get saved, He doesn't promise that all your problems go away. He promises that He will be with you through your problems. And that's a blessing. Let me give you three thoughts today about how we can be stewards of our suffering. And I'll just give them to you quickly. Three truths that help us be good stewards of our suffering as we follow Christ. Number one, we live in a sin-cursed world. You can never forget we live in a sin-cursed world. You know, our world wasn't always this way. But look at Romans chapter 8. We'll come back to 1 Peter, Romans chapter 8, quickly. We live in a sin-cursed world. The Bible says in verse 20, For the creature, the creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Did you know that the earth didn't sin, but the earth was cursed by sin? Did you know that animals didn't sin, but they were cursed by sin? Plants didn't sin, but they were cursed by sin? It's a strong reminder that sin always affects more than you want it to. But notice what it says in verse 21. Because the creature, or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in what? Pain together until now. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the entire creation was cursed with sin and creation began to suffer. And one of these days, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says creation itself looks forward to the day when it will be delivered from the consequences of sin. Did you know that in the beginning when God created the universe, it was perfect? He created a perfect world, a perfect garden, a perfect man with a perfect wife, 
the perfect opportunity. Life was unspeakably marvelous. There were no weeds in the soil. There was no chill in the night. There were no broken hearts. There was no disease, sickness, sorrow, or sin. Think about this. Nothing had ever died. The first death that took place in God's perfect creation was after Adam and Eve sinned, God sacrificed an innocent lamb. Blood was shed so they could be clothed and cover their nakedness with those skins, picturing the day that Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, would have to shed His blood to pay for our sins so we could be clothed in His righteousness. The first death in the world was redemptive. But God didn't make it that way. When sin entered the world, it brought with it every form of suffering and death. Every harsh word, every hurtful evil, every type of suffering that man had ever known was born out of a single act of sin. Mankind became sinners. The earth was cursed with iniquity. If you want to be a good steward, you've got to understand and remember that we live in a sin-cursed world. Number two, That means suffering is an inevitable part of life. Suffering is an inevitable part of life. The consequences of sin affect everybody. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives an important verse. Other verses we could look at for this proof, but... I'll just show you this, Matthew chapter 5. We find that that the goodness of God and the difficulties of life are for the just and the unjust. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. The Bible says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Now, depending on your perspective, the rain could be blessings or the rain could be a curse. But watch this, the just and the unjust. God's goodness and the effects of our sin-cursed world are for everybody who's in this world. Sometimes people will say, "Well, well, why would God do bad things for good people? Or do good things for bad people. Because he's good. He's good. God's good to everybody. He sends rain. He sends blessing on the just and the unjust. But wait a minute. The just and the unjust also get cold. They hurt. They get hungry. They get sick. They die. Salvation doesn't deliver you from From this body's death, it delivers your soul from eternal death. But this body will die as a consequence of sin. And thank God for the Christian, the physical death is simply the shedding of the chains that hold us down as our redeemed soul is delivered eternally to live in the heavens with God. But suffering is inevitable. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor yet the bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. There is an element in this world that applies to everyone. This means Christians will suffer as well. You've got to get this out of your mind that, well, because I'm a Christian, I won't suffer. There are some preachers out there teaching a health and wealth gospel saying, well, if you just believe Jesus, everything will be okay. Your problems go away. You won't be sick anymore. Uh, you, you, you won't have any more problems. You can get rich if you give money to the church. It's called the health and wealth gospel. Friends, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, one of Christ's choicest servants, prayed three times to be healed 
of a limiting ailment. And God said, don't talk to me about it again. I brought this into your life for a purpose. And I'm not taking it away. God, you mean you want one of your your preachers to have an infirmity? Yes. Why? For the greater good. The Apostle Paul later said, he said, now I understand it's because the revelations that came to me. You understand more than half of your New Testament was was inspired through the Apostle Paul. Imagine the opportunities for pride. God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. He said, Paul, I'm going to use you greatly, but I'm going to have to bruise you first. God always brings good out of suffering if you give that suffering to Him. Christians will suffer as well. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, sometimes you're just going to suffer for trying to be a good Christian. You say, okay, then I won't be a good Christian. No, 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 no. It's worth the suffering. Look back at our text verse as we finish up. I'll I'll give you the the final point here after we look at our text again. First Peter chapter two. After in verses nineteen and twenty, he tells us the difference between suffering wrongfully and suffering for your own faults, this self inflicted suffering. But both of them, the answer is the same for both. Take it with patience and faith. Suffer with patience and faith. But then look at verse 21. <laughs> For even hereunto were ye what? What were we called to? Suffering. God says, Christian, you're going to suffer. Sometimes you'll suffer just because you live in a certain sin-cursed world. Sometimes you'll suffer because you live for me. But you're called to suffering. If the sinless Son of God suffered, we must be willing to suffer well too. The difference is Christ did not waste his suffering. Look at the rest of the verse. For even hereunto you called, because Christ also suffered for who? For us. He didn't suffer for no reason. There's nothing worse than than believing you're suffering for no reason. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. She said, I don't have, she says, I don't have a ministry. She said, I spent my whole life going soul winning until I couldn't anymore. I spent my life encouraging people I couldn't anymore. There are days when, when uh, she can't read the Bible. She'll have to listen to it or or do other things. She, she can't come to church. She spent her whole life in church. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And she said, Paul, I feel like I don't have a ministry. And I'd always tell her, you have a ministry. You just can't see it. You're affecting people's lives. You just can't see it. And that means you have to accept it by faith. And because she believes that there is a reason that she can't see, it makes the suffering Bearable. But there's nothing more unbearable than suffering for nothing. Jesus didn't suffer for nothing, he suffered for us. And through his suffering, we're able to be saved. Jesus didn't waste his suffering. He not only suffered to save us, he suffered to leave us an example. Look at the rest of verse 21. Leaving us an example that ye should... Follow in his steps. Verse 22. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he reviled. He reviled. He didn't yell back at those who were yelling at him. He didn't curse those who were cursing him. When he suffered. He threatened not. Christ left us an example. He said I'm suffering for a reason. I'm suffering for your salvation. He said but I'm also suffering to teach you how to suffer. Because when you suffer, the tendency is going to be to get angry. The tendency is going to be to go into sin, to try to blunt the pain of the the suffering. The tendency is going to be to lash out at people. 
we often say hurting people hurt people. And when you're suffering, the tendency is to take your suffering out on others. But that's not the testimony that Christ gave us. He gave us a testimony of suffering righteously. How did he do that? And here we see verse 3, or number 3. Number 1, you live in a sin-cursed world. Number 2, suffering is an inevitable part of life. Number 3, we become good stewards of our suffering when we suffer with faith and patience. We become good stewards of our suffering when we suffer with faith and patience. Look how Jesus suffered. Verse 23, read it again with me. Uh, just You follow along as I read. Who, When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was suffered, he threatened not. What did he do? But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus committed his suffering to his father. He said, Lord, I don't like this suffering. Matter of fact, in the garden, he said, Lord, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus didn't want to become sin. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be separated from the father. But he said, Lord, if there's no other way, then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to commit my suffering to you because I know you'll do the right thing. And that's suffering with faith. I know God's doing the right thing. Watch this. God's not being mean to you. God's doing the right thing. If you can see your suffering through the eyes of God and, and the good things that God has planned to bring out of your suffering, if you suffer with faith, you would say, Lord, I'm willing to suffer. Yes, Lord, do that to me. Yes, Lord, allow that into my life because it's the right thing. See, we don't get that perspective, do we? And Because we can only see what we see and know what we know, it's easy to say, Lord, you're doing the wrong thing. But faith says, no, Lord, I don't understand why. I don't even know how we're going to make it. But you are right. And you are good. And I'm going to give you my suffering so you can make it beautiful. That's what Jesus did. You say, okay, I'm willing to suffer for a short period of time. Uh, and this is where the patience comes in. So you don't get to decide if you suffer. You don't get to decide how long you suffer. So we've got to have faith, giving our suffering to God. And we have to have patience. The word patience, the Bible word patience speaks of long suffering. It means this, being willing to suffer long under the burden. I not only have faith today, but I'll have it tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year. And by your grace, Lord, if you just give me the grace, if you just give me the strength, if you'll help me, I'm willing to suffer until I see you. I don't want to. I want you to take it away. If there's any other way, I want you to take it away. But I'll suffer as long as I need to. And I'll give you the glory because you're right and you're good. And that's how you become a good steward of yourself. What you'll find is whenever you give your suffering to God, whether it be small or big, whether it be short or long, what you'll find is, is God will use your suffering as a stage or a platform to show the world His glory. And God will use your suffering and those tears that you cry and that precious faith where you look to him in faith with your lip quivering and tears running down to your eyes and you say, I don't know if I can make it. 
God, you've got to help me. I want to please you. And those become the seeds of something beautiful and amazing that God's going to bring out of your life and testimony. But let me warn you, you can ruin all of that if when you start to suffer, you shake your fist at God and blame Him. How do we waste our suffering? We waste our suffering when we blame God, when we throw pity parties, when we make it about us. And all the good that God had planned never comes to fruition. Let's not do that. Three things that will keep us Faithful to God and be good stewards. Number one, we live in a sin-cursed world. Number two, suffering is an inevitable part of life. Don't be surprised when it comes. Number three, we become good stewards of our suffering when we suffer with faith and patience. We, can, we cannot control if we suffer, but we can control how we suffer. I think we could sum it up like this. First Peter chapter 4 Verses 12 and 13 say, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Not strange. We live in a sin-cursed world. Suffering is an inevitable part of life. It's going to come. Verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Here's what happens. You rejoice in your sufferings. As you give your sufferings to God, you ask Him for faith and patience to suffer, and then you rejoice saying, Lord, I know You're going to bring good out of this situation, and I can't wait to get to heaven to find out what You've done with my suffering. Isn't that a blessing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that we have talked about today. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to each heart. and We didn't take time today to itemize different types of suffering, but I pray the Holy Spirit would make that evident in each heart. Lord, I pray that whatever suffering we're going through, that we would suffer with faith and patience and even rejoicing because we know you're going to bring good out of it. Thank you for suffering for us, dying on the cross so we could go to heaven. You didn't deserve it, Lord. You didn't deserve to die. You didn't deserve to suffer on my account, but I'm glad that you did. Help us be willing to suffer for you good and for your glory. Faith and patience. We're weak, Lord. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We want to please you, but we need your strength. Without your strength and supernatural protection, we will fail. But I ask that you'd preserve us as we give our suffering to you as a humble offering of worship knowing that you'll bring good out of it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. What are you going through right now? What is it right now that you're just really struggling with? You say, well, it's not that big of a deal, but if it's affecting you, then it needs, it's a big deal. Maybe it's life-shattering, earth-shaking. Would you give that to Jesus today? Don't be angry at him. Don't question his goodness. There's righteousness. So give him your suffering and ask him for strength to suffer with faith and patience. Ask him to use your suffering for his good and glory. And he will. If you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you could know for sure. Put your faith in Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. He'll forgive your sin, save your soul. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. The stewardship of suffering.
You say, preacher, I'm not going through anything right now. My life's pretty good. Then you might want to pray that when the day comes, that you'll be able to have the faith and the patience. It comes to all of us. you pray for others who are suffering there is a hair's breadth of grace sometimes between bringing God glory and crashing and burning prayer works pray for those who are struggling who are suffering, who are in affliction suffering right now give him your hurt your pain give him your confusion give him your anger give him your doubt confess your faith in him say Lord I believe in you I trust you you're doing the right thing and I rejoice that you're going to bring good out of it Father, thank you for the truth that we've heard today from your word. Thank you that you can take something as as terrible as suffering and turn it into something so beautiful like salvation. We're grateful. Help us to be faithful to you. Lord, we pray for strength and grace to be faithful in the greatest trials of our lives. And Lord, day to day, help us to give you the the little things that mount up and seem to become overwhelming. Even those are a suffering that we can give to you. Thank you for being so good to us.